good to be back. <laughs> this is like my fifth attempt to start this. I've crashed and burned um, every other time um, I tried starting this podcast. Last time I was trying to compare the way Bruce Springsteen wrote about the scene uh, he was occupying at a given moment in his career, especially early when he was in his first band, the Castiles, but even onward after that, how he'd kind of just give the lay of the land of uh, where he was playing, like what the audience looked like, what they fought over, what turned them on, you know, like just, he just puts you there, you know, he puts you in a greaser doo-wop club, uh, he puts you... Uh, in, on the shore with, you know, uh, the, the wealthier people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't think I'm that good at it. No. I, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I could be a lot better, that's for sure. I've always fancied myself to be a pretty decent conversationalist, but this is completely different because I'm just talking to a microphone. And uh, you just, when you don't have the right word, it's, you just feel like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, this is not what I'm trying to Wealthy people? I mean, I don't know. The upper class teenagers, he calls them a certain thing in the book. And I just, I'm forgetting because uh, I'm just not that good. You know, and when people aren't good at this, you don't, like, say this to yourself. <laughs> like, what the hell is he talking about? But, um, yeah, like, he really kind of, like, not the Copacabana. It wasn't even that scene that I was comparing it to. That's, that was my, my fuck up too on the last one. Cause that was just a dolly shot of Henry and Karen going into the club. I mean, the scene in Goodfellas where Henry's kind of just giving you who's in the crew. I believe in the late sixties, um, it was early in the movie. You know, I got to get the papers, get the papers, that guy, you know? Yeah. Like Bruce does a similar thing. Um, I think in a way more detailed way, because that's like a very frenetic sequence, you know, and um, just kind of giving you an expository, though immediate, also immediate sense of what's at stake, what he's trying to do with the audience, how he's trying to reach the audience, why they're playing the songs that they're playing um, for the particular audience that they're entertaining on a given night. And I think that was my favorite part of the book. Uh, and there's so many great parts about the book. Uh, I'm going to read later on when I get more in the book I'm gonna read some some of my favorite passages just read them because I, I think they're great I might have like a little bit of commentary on them but the writing's uh spectacular actually uh before I read this book I year a couple of years ago I read a, a straight biography of Bruce um there's a there's a part where it mentions while he briefly attended community college I think for like a semester he took a creative writing class and uh, the author, who again, because I'm unprofessional, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. If you're listening to this, which I'm sure you're not, um, I'm gonna snub you right now. I really did enjoy the book, though, man. It was, it was, it was, it was a good read. It was, you know, it was a very, very good rock and roll bio. Uh, but there was a, the author procured uh, uh, Bruce's uh, creative writing assignment. He did. Uh, in, a, in a, I guess, English course or creative writing class. And it was very visceral. And I thought he, I thought to myself, like a lot of songwriters, had he gone the way of fiction, 
opted for something like probably way less satisfying than being a musician really um well being a musician's terrible for other reasons at times but i think the immediate satisfaction of getting a song right is can't really be duplicated in fiction uh, because everything requires several drafts though you can get at things uh, that are satisfactory and cathartic to get down even on a first draft so i shouldn't make that kind of blanket statement but had he gone in that direction Based on what I read, you know, when he was 18 and a freshman in college, I think he could have been an excellent fiction writer. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I got it. Did I get off the trail of what I was saying? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, the book was great. I, I think I'm just saying he's, he's an excellent writer. Yeah. And this was a big book. Um, kind of, you know, I haven't read Bound for Glory. I think I will at some point. Uh, but I think it was that kind of sensibility, like a big, big book. Um, and he does a few interesting uh, literary techniques uh, that I think work. Um, I don't know if I'm going to really get into that, or I can just say one right now is uh, writing capital letters, which, you know, would be frowned upon, I think, in a lot of courses, like, or someone would say, oh, you, you can't keep doing this. <laughs> Like, maybe you can get away with doing this once, but every time he does it, man, in this book, like, conveying his enthusiasm over what he's discussing or or just trying to get across, uh, you know, something that you can tell is, like, still bothers him for whatever reason. Like, when he was talking about working with Bob Clearbout and while they were trying to mix the river and saying why they didn't use him because they didn't feel like they were uh, at a professional enough point. To, to use a, a mixer um, who was so skilled and could, and could figure something out, you know, that they were taking like four or five months to figure out. Uh, and they kind of wanted to be in the midst of that insanity uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> Everyone has reasons for what they're wanting to do at a given moment. But that, that was one moment where he used the capital letters uh, to great effect. And uh, plenty of others, including I think the, the best was when he was describing how he had to drive this truck I think, where were they going? I think Arizona, the mountains, uh, what, I think it had to be uh, the Northwest, uh, and, they, and he had a gig, and uh, they had a drive across the country, and, and he, who had never uh, really driven a car, um, and that, that's actually, that's the funny thing. He is way more self-deprecating than I think people realize if, if they don't really get into his music. And I could, like, talk about a lot how I feel like Bruce is uh, misjudged uh, by, with uh, a generalization of, like, what his music about, what his music is about and what he's about, which is, you know, that happens, you know, because he's a figure in popular culture. And I do think, you know, when you're trying to reach that huge mainstream audience intentionally, which is what he was trying to do, you know, the, that's the blowback. So I don't necessarily feel the need to like sit here and like defend Bruce Springsteen, who would write his songs off as being obtuse in a way, and his image as being kind of just straight patriotic or something, because people do think that, because uh, that's what they've kind of been fed mainly by the Born in the USA album and ad campaign and the imagery that has survived from that, but there's so many other Bruce Springsteen, uh, images, you know, and Bruce, Bruce Springsteen's, 
you know, throughout his career, like any great artist, he, he, he evolves and there's so many. And even that one, I think, is misunderstood, the, the Born in the USA. Though, again, when you're trying to, as he writes in the book, ride on that big highway, the big, big highway of reaching as, just reaching as many people as possible with your music, that, I think, is going to be a blowback that people get this, are going to get an image of you that sticks based on that time period, too. And I think that's happened to other artists unintentionally, where at the moment where you're at your most commercially visible, that's the only way people are going to think about you, which is insanely unfair. But again, you get the money, you get the attention, and you know, you're basically, you basically can tour whenever you want for the rest of your career. Because uh, if you have a few songs in the top 40, I mean, that's a very powerful thing for your career. So, you know, it's it's a yin and a yang, like most things in life. Uh, and I don't think while these artists could be really pissed off <laughs> for their image getting fixed, I, I do think when you've made that move to try to reach as many people as possible, sell as many as possible, and attain a powerful position in the pop star hierarchy, which is obviously, you know, a crazy dynamic to be living in. Um, but I understand that because, you know, that's what music is. It's a communal thing. And if you do reach a point where you want to get it to as many people as possible, it's understandable. But again, there's going to be blowback. Uh, there's going to be misunderstanding. Uh, like Bob Dylan said, an idiot wind. I'm trying to remember the exact lines. Oh, yeah. Their minds are filled. Great. Is it big ideas or great ideas? No, I think it's big ideas. Big ideas and distorted facts. And that's the guy. <laughs> he, 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 on Idiot Wind, because uh, I could talk about Dylan anytime, <laughs> but he's really confronting the image of him as a Pied Piper and as someone who knows more than the average guy on the street because uh, he's Bob Dylan. The, he's the 21-year-old genius or the 22-year-old genius. Uh, wearing his dark sunglasses and fucking with reporters. And that's he's got to deal with that. He's still dealing with it like 10 years later while he's making blood on the track. He's trying to say, that's not who I am. <laughs> but you have this fixed idea. And I think that's what he's addressing in that song. He's addressing even someone he's had an intimate relationship with, uh, which he would assume to be on a deeper level. And he's like, even you yesterday tried asking me where it was at. It's, you know what I mean? I don't know. But images are powerful. Uh, everyone knows that. Um, and yeah, I think that's the, the bargain you make. But anyway, I, I really started on this thread, uh, or the bargain you make un un unwittingly, I should say, too, because it's, like, it's not like you ever really know exactly what you're doing in life, honestly. Um, everything's kind of a bit obscured at all times, I think, by your perception of the past and hope for the future. Um, and, and, you know, complicated image of what you are, which doesn't exist in objective reality. Uh, anyway, I, I did say there's a self-deprecating thing right on the cover of the book, and Bruce is so self-aware, which, again, like, the detractors who want to paint him a certain bullshit way, you know, that, like, isn't true at all, that he's, like, this, like, muscled, patriotic guy who, <laughs> uh, who's only trying to appeal to one audience of people or whatever, which, again, is totally unplugged by, you know, when he's describing being a young musician and playing doo-wop for the Italians and playing 
another type of music for another type of audience uh, and, and on and on and steel mill um anyway like you know and uh, i'm just saying like on the cover of the book it's him sitting on a car which is like such an iconic you know bruce writes about cars a lot in his lyrics you know and it's a very like american type of motif and uh but he didn't he didn't drive <laughs> you know what i'm saying so like i think that's like a joke right on there he's saying like that that's me like that's you know like i'm sitting on the car but i didn't really ever drive uh, i'm not sure you know because he ended up being a motorcycle guy uh and i'm not sure like when he actually like started dri- driving on the regular but like he he's he's not a guy who really was like driving driving like especially like i think when the picture was taken um and i think that's just kind of like a wink wink thing where you know bruce i i think you can make this work for you if you're especially bruce is is from a very difficult background uh you know his i mean you know where they're struggling to take baths you know like that's the kind of background he's from uh, but when you're from that kind of situation and, you know, a little upwards to, I think, being like middle class or even upper middle class, I think you can really play around with people's expectations of your level of intelligence, I think, where I think you can play around with people's idea of, you know, be successful by being an artist or, or whatever or unsuccessful and it stops right there uh and it stops at like a simplistic kind of level which is ironically the way he gets dismissed by a lot of people in like a very simplistic kind of way uh where you I, i feel like you can really play around with that and for the people who are willing to go deeper they they get like the treat of seeing you kind of like fuck with people's expectations and and make a joke of it and even like with his uh, Broadway show, I mean, which I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to see because uh, I have eight hundred dollars lying around. But he starts out by saying, I, "I from from the accounts I've read of it and reviews and stuff, you know, I wrote about the working man. I never worked really." And he, and he says a similar thing about cars. I wrote, I wrote all these songs about like racing and cars, and you know, I, I didn't even have my license. Uh, and I, again, I don't remember like when, when he got his license or whatever, but it's just, I think to the degree people are willing to think they understand what you're doing and assume they understand what you're doing and assume they understand what you're capable of. And and to the degree, like in the work and also in imagery and like in your presentation of yourself, if you're a performing artist and you're putting yourself out there. I think you can like mess with people, um, and I think he does that, uh, and, I, and I think it's it's really effective because it's just like there's just such a you know the hard scrabble artist coming up the ranks like a prize fighter and having to fight for everything and you know make compromises. It's just such a part of the American landscape. It's such a it's it's a character across Western civilization and beyond Western civilization. I, I feel, but you know, the the American quality to it, the, the capitalist quality to it, I, I think adds a, another dimension uh, where it, it kind of, I think, can create this even split in, in the artists uh, themselves. Uh, 
where, you know, there is a person who is just trying to get by and, and is happy with just making money. But it's almost, it's almost like having your cake and eating it too, I, I suppose. Cause then, you know, the, the, uh, artiste, the, the real, like finesse kind of elusive thing, you know, that maybe wouldn't necessarily, uh, inherently belong to someone from freehold New Jersey, that, that spirit is there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I think, you know, maybe I'm reading too much, too much into it, but I feel like in a book that like, man, so honestly, like not so much, I, I don't think he, he had to dispel a myth, a myth, a myth. <laughs> I don't think he had to dispel myths while, while writing the book. Cause I think Bruce in like interviews and interactions and with, with people and his songs has, has always like had an honesty uh that he he doesn't have a, a cloaking as much I, I i feel although although maybe uh but that's kind of his songs kind of if they can be compared you know some some songs are like wind his songs are like dirt in your hand uh that you can feel you know there's there's a like a a tangible reality i feel uh where you feel like the, you're on the artist's land, so to speak. Um, so, like, I, I don't really think there is, like, a pressure on the book to dispel myths, but I, I do think it, it's it's amazing how honest he was about some things that you maybe weren't expecting, like, you know, like, mental health. Like, there there's uh, dimensions to Bruce that, you know, there's songs like uh, Lift Me Up, um, you know, or even like Secret Garden. And I think those are kind of recorded like around the same time. Um, and a song like uh, This Life. There's a kind of, he can be an everyman. <laughs> he has this ability to be an everyman, an everyman, Western man, an everyman, New Jersey man, an everyman, East Coast man, an everyman of America man. Uh, you know, in the desert. Uh, but then he also can pull back on a, in a Nietzschean way somewhat and talk about stars and existential existence and constellations and mystery and intimacy. So like, like any great artist, uh, a lot of different hats are, are worn uh, and, and they fit. <laughs> they all fit somehow because in some way that everybody is that way. Everybody is where they're from. Uh, everybody is human too. So they're from their neighborhood. They're from their part of the world. They're from their city. And they're also from the stars as well. Um, so, but like to the degree that someone taps into that, you know, like, uh, and can seamlessly move between. And I feel like that's another element. Like there, there's just a lot, you know, a lot there to, to the guy, which is why I'm doing, uh, this podcast. Um, so like, yeah, I'm going to kind of get into, uh, what I, what I planned, uh, to talk about. I have a couple things or a few things that, that I really planned on specifically getting into. And hold on a sec. Let me just, Oh, Jesus. Ah, oh, man. I know. 
And I'm going to play a song uh, to end it uh, that I wrote that was inspired by an antidote in the book. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, it's, it's funny, like, I, I think I meant to, uh, well, I can, I can talk about this now. I was reading the book, um, I'm going to school downtown, uh, kind of near the village, uh, or right in the village, I should say. I, I actually, it's a funny story how I even got the book. I was, I went to class and uh, I, I didn't know it was canceled. So I showed up and there was nobody there, which is always like kind of awkward uh, and I was like, oh, you know, and I, I ended up reaching out to a friend of mine in the class and she told me it's canceled. I was like, okay. So I, I was like, I had some time to kill. Uh, so I was kind of, you know, I walked into Washington Square Park. I walked past Washington Square Park. I hooked the right and I went down near like Bleecker Street, which I'm very familiar with uh, for a variety of reasons, hanging out there in my early 20s and I, I did some gigs in, in there, like, later on. Um, and I, I actually went to Revolution Records, which I feel like is the best record store in the city. I love that place. Um, so I went went there, and I actually, I was really debating myself before I, I went in that direction toward the park. I was thinking I, I maybe could get a book, but I also wouldn't mind buying an album. I had like ten dollars on me or whatever, fifteen dollars. I was like, yeah, because like I was like, yeah, I I feel like I could use something new to read. I was like, nah, I'm gonna go to the record store instead. So that record store is great. I've I've gotten like Dylan bootlegs. They have a great selection of stuff. They have like this really cool basement with like dope T-shirts. I, I've never like bought any of those, but it's a it's a really cool record store. And I went in. I kind of went immediately, I immediately always go toward the, like, Dylan section, <laughs> which they actually moved uh, recently, because it used to be kind of, like, on the clock, say, it'd be, like, uh, on the, at 10 o'clock, the Dylan, it, it was, like, in this, like, nestled in this corner, like, mainly, like, bootlegs, too, um, and I kind of always, like, go over there to see if there's, like, a bootleg, because I, I kind of have, like, a few bootlegs already, um, but just to check, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I did that, and out of the corner of my eye, so they had books. So I'm, like, debating whether to get a book or an album. And I go to the record store, and the record store has books, and they, they had never had books before. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. So I went over, and I saw Born to Run, uh, Bruce's book, which I just never got around to reading when it came out, for, for whatever reason. And the weird, the other fucking weird thing is, here's another, like, weird thing, but before that, when I was walking around, before I got to the I went into this other place, um, I can't remember the name of this place, uh, but it, it was, it was, uh, shanty-like, <laughs> and it was hot, they didn't have any air conditioning, and it was, it was cramped, and, um, it had, uh, really cool guitars displayed in the window, and, like, ukes, too, um, and I, and I went in, and uh, I can only really stand, stand to be in there for, like, two minutes because it was so hot. But I saw Bruce, like, again, like, this was before I went to Rupa. They, they had a single. It was a single. I think it was a Dancing in the Dark single. Um, it was, or not, and it might have been, I don't remember, because the, the, uh, the art of it, maybe, it was on a sidewalk or something. So that, that might have been for the river. It might have been a river single. I don't quite remember, 
But anyway, I, I saw Bruce, and I saw Bruce again at this other place. I was like, yeah, like, some of Bruce is, like, talking to me right now, you know? So, like, I... And then I got the, the the book was like really marked down. I got it for a great price, considering it's like five hundred pages and hardcover. And I, I just started reading it. I went back to to the park and started reading it, Washington Square. And uh, in the subsequent like couple of weeks, where I was reading it, I read it a lot at the park. And there was a part in the book where he's talking about hanging out in Washington Square Park to see Van Zandt. And I was really actually touched by it because it was at a time in his life where he was feeling very alienated. He was about to graduate from high school and he was a outlier in his neighborhood, you know, with like long hair and like facial hair and like, you know, like, especially back then, like, especially in a, in a conservative, you know, working class neighborhood or working class poor neighborhood. I mean, could you imagine you know, adopting that kind of, like, look for yourself, you know, like, exactly, and, and like, felt totally rejected, and, and he, and he started going to the village a lot, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that part, I think that was, like, one of the sections I marked, uh, to read, uh, but just his description of the village, and the acts he was seeing, and the mood that was there, it's wonderful, uh, finding it looking going out looking for a place and in, in 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 the world and feeling like you found it is a is a pretty cool thing and it actually reminds me uh on rem's last album uh there's a the, the the opening track discoverer uh which is about that and that spirit's still in new york even though new york's not same obviously as it was in in this time period or even like I guess like 20 years ago or, or you know or I guess maybe 9-11 would be a, a point of demarcation I, I, I suppose uh but yeah like that was a really cool part of the book uh that, and it was kind of trippy for me to be like reading about Washington Square Park and uh in such a detailed way and being in Washington Square Park while while reading that section was like a, a really cool kind of one-of-a-kind experience so uh, anyway, let me get into, you know, what I plan on talking about, which is, um, I'm going to start by, <laughs> this is like, this is done in such like a, I'm not trying to be so, cheese, uh, you know, like, like tight about it, you know, but I, I did have like this list of things that I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first of which is the only time I've seen Bruce live, which is crazy, but I just missed uh, the river tour. Um, what happened was, it was one of those things where, I was trying to get people to go. And then, you know, like, sometimes when you want people to go with you to a concert and it falls through, and, like, I go to so many concerts by myself. Like, it's not a big deal for me. In fact, probably, yeah, most of the concerts I go to, I go by myself. But then when you're, like, planning to, like, have people come and then it falls through and then, like, you suddenly feel this element of, like, like, oddness about going by yourself that that wasn't there before it's 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 a weird phenomenon but like i I think that kind of goes for all plans like it's something you could easily do by yourself and have a good time but then like there's something discouraging you about it like where it's like i wish i would have never even asked people to go with me because if i hadn't i asked people to go with me i would have just gone in that natural way it's a it's a weird thing but it happens to me anyway so I missed that, um, and that, that was, like, my last opportunity uh, to see him. I, I'm really hoping uh, the East Street Band does another tour, although I don't know, like, when that will be. Um, 
you know, or or Bruce by himself, because I I think he has a solo album that he can like basically put out that maybe might come out at the end of this Broadway run, maybe next fall or next uh, next spring, hopefully next fall. God, fuck next fall, man. We're already in fall, all right, and after fall comes winter. So I don't want to think about next fall. <laughs> I want to think about next spring, all right, next spring, because after spring it's summer, all right. So anyway, may, maybe that'll come out. That'd be, that'd be cool. But I, I saw him, the only time I saw him was April 6th, uh, 2012. It was during the Wrecking Ball tour. I had been in, I had really gotten into Bruce uh, a couple years prior. Not, it wasn't too, like, you know, it was it, maybe like two years prior to, to the concert. So I, I wasn't, you know, I, I had become pretty well versed in his discography. Uh, you can do this great thing. On, on Amazon, they, they, they have, like, entire discographies available uh, for, like, a, a low rate. You know, you can get a good deal if you just buy everything. And I, I did that for Bruce, and I did that for Leonard Cohen, like, at around the same time. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, so I, I, I was uh, pre- pretty well into him, but I, I wasn't, like, you know, I didn't know, like, everything in his catalog. Like, like let's say that. There were probably, like, albums I didn't really give that close of a listen to. But seeing seeing him live, the thing that like struck me like it was at Madison Square Garden, and um, it was actually the opening day of twenty twelve baseball season, which is like a weird aside for me because I'm like a huge uh, baseball fan, and uh, the Yankees actually got the Rays came back on Rivera, uh, so like I think uh, Carlos Pena I think had the game winning hit, and uh, me and my dad were watching the game in a bar uh, right by Penn, and then we. We went to the concert, and that was, like, kind of, like, an odd, like, feeling, like, you know, like, it's just, like, two events in one, like, man, what the fuck, you know, like, it's interesting, you know, like, one mood to another mood, I feel like, you know, so, like, but then, like, the second, I forgot about everything, everything, you know, including the frivolity of a a baseball game, uh, which I of course enjoy, (laughs) but, like, even my own, like, Bruce has the ability I think this is, like, an important thing to, to mention, too. As someone, and I'd be curious um, to corroborate this with uh, other huge music fans, like, to the degree that there is a power in the live performance that you're, you're witnessing, I think it's to the degree that it blows away your, your rational mind. Um, yeah. Where your rational mind is still working, it's not like you're like hypnotized, but like you can really get in sync with the music. And I actually, I had this strange thought. I, I really meant to write an essay about. And I guess I'll, I'll still try to do it because I'm supposedly gonna write some a lot of essays in the next few months. I mean, I'm not. I I, I have to do it. So <laughs> it's something like I have to do. Uh, I get. I could be more enthusiastic about it. I guess. But um, I was at a, a show at the Brooklyn Bowl. Uh, Nicole Atkins, who's one of my favorite, really one of my favorite artists, and definitely like one of my favorite like pure singers uh, out there right now. And she's a really good songwriter too. She's a great songwriter. And she was doing a show with this band, Midnight North, where they were kind of mixing in selections from the last waltz, uh, the band's blowout show uh, for the to, for their retirement. Uh, or their dissolution as a band, you know, it's like a famous show, and they're mixing in their originals around, 
And it was it was really cool. Is that you know Brooklyn Bowl? Uh, I got you know I got there pretty early. I, it, it's a really story, story man. I, I took a cab. It's probably one of the last times I'll take a cab from Manhattan to to Brooklyn. I've I've had this very peculiar uh, aversion to the subway. I guess because I fancy myself as a uh, top hat wearing uh, knickerbocker or something. <laughs> because I've just I've never really taken the subway a lot to Brooklyn, and I'm I've really gotten over it. Like this summer, I, I got over it. I had something I had to do. Um, for an entire week where I had to be in Brooklyn for like an entire week. And I, I just finally kicked it. Cause it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm from fucking Queens, you know what I mean? And like, I go, I do go to Brooklyn, you know, somewhat often. I'm in Manhattan all the time, but I had this like weird thing, you know, like when I, when I started, uh, first going to the city when I was like 18 or whatever, I, I just took cabs everywhere. Uh, it was a huge fucking waste of money. And sometimes I'm, like, walking by places I took cabs to when I was, like, 17 or 18. And I'm just like, you stupid bastard. Like, you could have walked this so easily. And I'll, like, pass a place or, like, I'll be, like, walking to, like, the Lincoln Center and be like, oh, my God. Like, what were you doing? But, like, I don't know, man. Like, I I was a bit of a shut-in, I guess, in, in my neighborhood for a long time. And I guess, like, going to the city was, like, an adjustment for me and, the subway was like too much for me i guess it was like it was like a bridge too far you know like uh not a bridge obviously uh it was a it was a it was a train ride too far i suppose and it's not like i never took the subway but i just i didn't really go out of my way to, of doing it and like i said i feel like i'm finally getting over it now uh but anyway like you know like what the fuck was i talking about how the hell did i how the hell did i get on this anyway uh talking about being in the city. Oh, yeah. All right. Nicole Atkins. Right. Nicole. I literally, I wrapped myself in such a knot with that digression. I almost couldn't get out. That's, that's impressive. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm out of there. I took a cab that night. This was last April. Yes, I took a cab that night. And um, my driver was, uh, was a bit of an oddball, you could say. He was preaching the gospel to me, uh, but not not the standard one. He was he was pitching a deluxe version, uh, and he was talking about aliens, and he was saying that there's giants under the crust of the earth. And he assured me, in case I was going to make this rebuttal, you know, because obviously I had this rebuttal planned, so he he struck it down before I had a chance. He said, if you think the Navy SEALs have a chance against these giants. You got another thing coming. But he did He did mention, though, like, to give that rebuttal that I didn't make, a, a, you know, to, to not totally dismiss it, he did say that the U.S. government had killed one of these giants uh, a few months prior, and then I could research and find pictures online. So he's going on and on about this, and, you know, I, I, I was just like, you know, I'm like, yeah, uh, this, this is uh, interesting. And that's, that's, you know, you get in a cab sometimes, man. You know, it's like a box of chocolates, man. You don't know what you're going to get. But we eventually did make it to the Brooklyn Bowl. And, um, you know, at a moment when someone's, like, preaching to you hardcore like that, too, like, they will stop. And, you know, he actually, (laughs) it was was really interesting. The sun was setting because it was about, like, 7, I think. This is, like, I got out of my class and I was all jacked up to go to this concert. I actually, I think the next night, um... 
I went to see Craig Finn at the City Winery. And holy shit, man, Craig Finn, uh, we all want the same things. I could probably do an episode about that album. That was, like, such a great album. Uh, and I, I'm, I think I'm going to see him on Halloween. He's playing the City Winery again on Halloween, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go. Um, but anyway, that's another digression within the digression. But that album, phew, we all want the same things, Craig Finn. That's one of the best albums I've heard of a decade. It's a, it's a great album. Uh, it's amazing. It's literary. It's, it's rock and roll. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's American in the sense of describing very American. <laughs> it's just real people living real lives in, in songs uh, that capture the, the drama of their lives without dra- dramatizing it, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, it's realistic literary portraits of people so it's a great album so that was the next night but on this night um yeah i'm I'm in the cab with this fucking guy like he's pointing like we're we're kind of we're driving down one of those like odd streets uh this the concert was in williamsburg is in uh at the brooklyn bowl so like one of those like narrow side streets and like just directly pointed at manhattan with the sun setting, just, just picture it. It's like the road is like a fucking straight line. I, I think it was a two-way street, but it's like straight. There's like a construction site in your immediate field of vision, but if you if you kind of just poke your nose up a little bit, you see the sun setting over, over over Manhattan, and it's like you know pinkish and it's it's beautiful. You know, it, it's it's like a springtime sunset, and um, you know, and and he takes the opportunity. He's like. This is like, it's kind of like an insurance salesman, I feel like. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you need some insurance, you know? It's like, do you really think that God didn't have something to do with that? You know what I mean? Like, do you think, like, that sunset just exists objectively and uh, there wasn't some kind of conscious hand at the, at the, uh, at the creation of, of, such a, of, of such an image? And, you know, like, it's, it's so beautiful. You're kind of just like, yeah. <laughs> and these are like the interesting uh interactions you can have um and yeah that's definitely an essay waiting to happen but actually the the main point of the essay that i would make and bringing it back to the power of music kind of just putting you you know to the degree you know like a movie to the degree that you're in the movie and you know that's uh you know erica de jung had the essay about camp and being able to objectively enjoy something you know ranking as like a you know uh, revolutionary <laughs> intellectual experience or which i which i understand because objectivity is a, a you know should you always be objective i don't think it, i don't think it's possible though we do know that a lack of objectivity and a lack of intellectual awareness can have negative implications uh, for a lot of reasons and in, in different all sorts of different situations from the the most you know apop- apocalyptic you can imagine or, or not so like it but I, i'm a person who 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 tries to lose themselves in in music at a concert i'm not trying to stand there and be like well this is if I could compare this to something, <laughs> you know, like, or if I, I, I want to turn off the intellectual mind a little bit, you know, and, and that's, that's like a, and I think like, you know, I, I think that's like a common thing. I think that's a common thing of, with musicians too. And, uh, and I do feel to the degree that I deem, uh, a concert and enjoyable experience is to the degree that I could 
And then even when you, it's not like you stop thinking because you just have, as a work of art, can say things that have pro- never been said or they've been said, but not just this way, which I think is way more common. Because <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever said anything that hasn't been said before. Uh, I'm coming to really understand that too. <laughs> reading the things I'm reading now, uh, philosophical things like, oh yeah, you know, people have thought about all sorts of things, you know. So like, I don't know if there's ever been anything that hasn't been thought before, you know. Uh, nothing you can think that hasn't been thought, right, John Lennon? Um, but anyway, you know, um, to the degree too that you can kind of tap into a different part of your mind. That's not so analytical or rational and, and get an insight from that, which I think are those like deep insights about like identity, um, or just like who you want to be. Um, you know, if the music can put you there or an insight about where you are at a given moment, like even the space that you're in or the people that you're around, which I think is kind of what happened to me at, at this thing. But I did, I was right up front in it. Nicole Atkins has such an amazing voice and she's singing. Um, I think she was singing uh, A Little Crazy. Yeah, which is an ama- amazing song. I'm just like, right. You know, she really bel- belts it out. You know, um, it's like, it, it's not only uh, lyrically, you know, quality song, Sometimes an artist can design something to showcase their abilities. And I feel like in the case of this song, like, she really did that. Because she can really crank out a, a song with her voice. And her band was really good. And, you know, I just was just right there. And I felt like there's just this wall of noise right in front of me. Boom. Like this wall of fucking noise. Like, it was great. And like, and I had the thought that I was like, culture is like the opposite of this, and like people's experiences in like real life outside of like a concert or art gallery or novel or or skateboarding or whatever people do to kind of undo the chains of of uh, rational thought and and you know action consequence. Uh, reality and and uh, the reality of how people perceive you and how you get treated based on how you're perceived, which is way more difficult for many people than it is for other people. Um, that I, I I said I thought to myself that's noise too. That's like noise. That's like a noise that's constantly. That's like a wall of sound that isn't um. It's not as identifiable as a song but it's it's kind of the soundtrack that people live with and and like and i i thought to myself that like this is the noise this is like the good noise like this is the noise of 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 an opening of an awareness um this is music you know what i mean like whereas that noise is a noise of like oppression a noise of you know uh, it's like a it's like a buzzing a humming uh uh, a car horn, an ambulance siren, um, you know, it, it's, it's a cat caller. It's, 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 it's all that, you know, and, and that's like noise too. So I, 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 I had this, this hypothesis on, on two noises, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, and that was cool. And that, that was, that was last April. And, 
that's how I felt about uh, this concert. I thought it was coincidentally. It's also in April of 2012. Uh, but the, another thing happened at that show, which was uh, which struck me as well. Uh, towards the end of the night, speaking of catcallers, I, I just mentioned a catcaller. Um, these drunk guys who had been bowling, because it's a bowling alley with like a concert pit. And a state. it's it's a good venue. I'm not I'm not talking shit about the venue, but like you know, you get these people who aren't there for music; they're there to bowl and drink, and nothing wrong with that. But then if you're an asshole on top of it, then, then there's something wrong with it. And they they kind of came uh, in the back of the crowd, um, and like the concert was winding down, um, and they started catcalling uh, the two female artists on stage, um, and. It really made me think, man, like, you know, like, that that definitely made me think, too, because it's like, what is a concert? A concert is a band and an audience, and, the, like, who is in the audience? Like, Bruce had, had this, I'm, I'm going to talk about American Skin once I'm finally done rambling about what I'm ra- rambling right now, but the audience is active, too. Not as much as the band or the singer, but like the audience is is it's it's an ecosystem, and the audience is like a part. So like, it really made me every time. Like I've had a different like drawing these boundaries of, you know, kind of what's the word I'm trying to say. The, the fine line between being able to intellectualize uh, culture uh, awry in so many ways where you're seeing yourself as a part of that culture, especially myself, because I don't, you know, I, 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 I can't say that I'm, uh, you, you know, an op- oppressed outwardly, you know, because based on how I look. You know, based on how I look and what my background is to, to a degree, uh, to, a, to a large degree, to, to a degree that it's different from like a, a, a person of color or a woman or a woman who, who's, who's a black woman or a, a Dominican woman, you know, it's a huge difference. So like, you know, I, I've, I've, I have had the ability to stop myself short now of simply condemning when something like this happens, not that it shouldn't be like condemned of like, cause you know, there's so much that plays into like people doing that. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's the, the type of concert it is and the type of performers who are performing and it's the ability to make their voices heard in the venue there. And that's like what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, like, and they were able to have their voices heard in this context, you know, of where the concert was. Um, cause it wasn't like a, a large venue and it's not like there was like 2000 people there, you know, and they got to like yell their stuff and be drunk. And the thing, the thing is too, like the assumption within their group that they're being so funny, you know, it's, it's like a really interesting thing. But like the thing that I, I, I thought about that was like talking about like the, the last waltz and like the, the, like folk music uh even though like the last waltz wasn't really about folk music but the the band had like a a folk like uh sensibility to it and and, like i was just kind of thinking like 
why or like what like where does it have to go where we're not surprised that like that's what I'm saying. It's like these people who are feet away bowling come into this space. So you're really it's the idea of like the concert being this like should the concert feel like a cocoon? Is that something we need to get over? You know, like where to a degree that culture has to change and like music and ideas and the whole gamut of change uh, that is probably coming. Um, and, you know, the world always changes, obviously. I think that's kind of like what, I, what I'm getting at. And, you know, if you're also lost in the perfection uh, of a concert, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, should you, should your intent as a listener, as a concert goer, be, be different? You know, it's getting, it, I'm trying to like get at that kind of idea. Like what, what is, you know, like, cause like my, my reaction was like, it, it is like, I wouldn't say disbelief. I'm never surprised when people are, are assholes, <laughs> but I, I think the, the idea of like, you know, I'm my, I myself am not that good, right? Like to be like, can I really play the part being that I myself at, at times in my life, sorry about my, my phone's ringing. There's nothing I can do about that. I myself have been uh, a person who's like wasted, you know what I mean? And acting like an asshole. I, I know it's, it, it happened for, for a while, like, you know, like, so like if I've lost myself attending this concert, I've become another person in this moment who can't relate to the full spectrum of my experience. Like, is that something to consider where, you know, why, 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 you know, it, it's not about, you know, never physical violence is never but like why not why not you know everyone turns around and is like fuck you you know but no one did that that that's the, that's the sad thing too like they it, it was kind of like well they're jerks you know let let them be jerks and like they'll you know they'll go away and like you know and like i don't know if that's like the, be the best thing either because you know like we're just these you know perfect people and we can't tell someone to go fuck themselves because like we're these perfect people listening to this music and, and like the music's like beautiful and it's, then we are beautiful too. And now we're not, you know, so it's, it's active and, and it's, it's fine. Like I really went off on a, on a digression here uh, about that concert, but I, I think I, I, it does kind of tie into talking about American skin. Um, in, in every way, <laughs> that's the interesting thing. And I didn't really, I didn't really like plan, plan on that at all. But he did play at, at this show, which, which, you know, I was enjoying it. Um, he was prompt. He came, they came right out at eight o'clock, which I almost never see at a concert. He just, he's a brute. The band just walked, let's get it going, man. Cause they play a long set, the East Street Band. They play a long set. They play like a three hour, three hour set sometimes. And this river tour, I think there was some four hour. Man, that's awesome. But like, I wonder how many times I have to take a piss during that concert. <laughs> <laughs> that that's always an issue yeah it's like you know like because if i can get through without doing it like i'm like great like i feel like i stole 
something to just eliminate that being being a possibility that's something that has to be reckoned with but anyway like this concert's rolling along you know i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the music um and first thing that happens that's that's kind of interesting is that he did waiting on a sunny day um and and like there was a a guy and his girlfriend in front of me who were were trying to start a, a USA chant, as if I think we're Americans. Bruce is an American. This is American. Go America, you know. And I, I'm always even back then. This was like five years ago. I'm I'm really ambivalent about the Yankees playing "God Bless America" in the seventh inning of your home game. I, I can't stand it. I really, it makes me so, it's, I'm getting more and more uncomfortable about it. I'm not getting less uncomfortable about it. I'm getting, you know, uh, I, I, I just, I think it's jingoistic. And also when you're constantly doing something, it takes away the meaning of it uh, as well. And then you have the military and, you know, fine, like, you know, yeah, no, no one are like actually like people are critical about this, but then you, when you actually like say this like stuff, like. You're like, oh man, like, eh, fuck it, because it's true. The military pays for that. They pay for it. it. It's not, you know, people people sit there and they're like, oh, like, this is America and we're at a baseball game and great, you know, like, awesome, like, this is America and we're going to honor America and this is like some kind of spontaneous, it's not a spontaneous thing without money changing hands. I mean, so it's, it, and, and plenty, uh, I think even, uh, and in fact, I, I know, I don't know who, who they are. I, maybe McCain too. I'm not sure, but plenty of conservative politicians have spoken out about it, you know, and, and these fucking sports leagues, they, they just, you know, they, like, I can't stand that. I, I really can't stand it. And, and I also don't like the idea of turning something that's a very communal human thing, where if I'm standing next to a Swede at this concert, it's not about America, it's about humanity, like making some some great music. You know, I don't I don't care. You know what I mean? Like exact exact. So like the guy wants me. I don't know why he. I guess because I was sitting directly behind him. He wants me to join in on the and I and I was like, no, I'm not joining in on the on the, on the USA chant. And this this plays back into what people might may think they assume about Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen fans and like what it's about because. You know, uh, the guy ended up kind of, like, bothering me about it. And he was like, him and his girl, they're just looking at me in this bizarre, simultaneously doe-eyed, but also oddly aggressive way of, like, why don't you want to do the the USA chant uh, right now? And I think it was, like, in between songs, you know what I mean? And they were doing this fucking USA thing the entire, before before the concert. So I was like, what the, God damn it. Like, do you even, like, do you even listen to Born in the USA? <laughs> Anyways, like, probably not. You haven't, that's actually another fun, I've, I've had so many funny experiences, you know, in, in music, man. Like, I was at, this was actually before I, I think I even picked up a guitar. I think it was, like, 2009. Um, I was out uh, on the 4th of July. I was in the village. I think I was at the Red Lion, and there's a, there's a, I think a blues, yeah, it was a blues band. A blues band was playing. It was predominantly black musicians. It was an instrumental set. And, like, this drunk white... This guy's drunk. This drunk white guy is, like, 
just like kind of can barely stand up and and he's like born in the <laughs> I th- yeah no 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 born in the USA he's saying born in the USA like he wants him to play born in the USA uh for the 4th of July and his girlfriend's telling him to sit down he's made, it's just ridiculous like these things I'm telling you like <laughs> go out I, I I'm not I'm not out um I don't I don't go out like that anymore to like five o'clock in the morning but if you're out like two two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning these are the things that go on uh these are the odd behaviors you see so uh the the uh the lead guitarist of the band uh and i, and I love this because I, I was really getting into bruce uh, in this time period he says you've never uh actually listened to the lyrics of that song have you you know and the guy the guy was so drunk he barely even registered uh what was said to him which i guess was appropriate but that was like a funny funny story about born in the usa and it was like yeah you know like yes yes someone people must know you know like exactly but but anyway i guess this this couple and this this is a true goddamn story man it really is and finally this guy sitting further down the row about four or five seats away from me kind of like in the shadows i couldn't really make out his face but you know, because I'm like, look, you know, I've been in one or two uh, situations or, or <laughs> you know, like, I'm not like, a, 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 especially given like my, my experiences, you know, as a teenager and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm really, I can be like, just like, again, like talking about what happened at this Nicole Atkins and Midnight North uh, concert, where I'm just like, all right, like, this being aggressive like whatever i'm just gonna you know what i mean like i'm gonna hang hang it you know and i I don't know if i'm like changing in that regard because sometimes you know you do have to fucking just stand up for yourself and just be like fuck you you know like no no one gets hurt but just fuck you you know like honestly like you know leave me the fuck alone you know like there's nothing wrong with saying that um but like that on this night i i was kind of just like oh man wish these people would just stop breaking my balls about this fucking USA shit, you know what I mean? I was just like, whatever, like, and I'm also like trying, you know, this is like my first time seeing Bruce Springsteen, like, you're, you're fucking with the experience, you know? And this guy, like, four or five rows, or four or five seats away, is just like, he doesn't want to do the fucking USA chant. Leave him alone. <laughs> you know, like, or something to that effect. Like, you know, in a very, like, kind of matter-of-fact way, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, and I almost feel like it was, um, it was an odd generational moment uh, because these two, this these two, this couple were we were, we were of the same age. We were both you know early early twenties, and like you know death, you know like they're like ah like the way millennials like don't like think things through like or don't like you know or just assume like everything has to be like a, a rallying cry sometimes. Like I feel like we're sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes you know a situation can be a little more gray where you know maybe someone doesn't have an opinion on something or they don't feel like and and everything like right it always has to be you know and this was like a jingoistic type thing it can be like something else but like yeah i I do think there's like a generation where where the guy's like like it's a fucking concert like what the hell is wrong like the guy wants to sit there and watch the concert you know and i'm always uh, thankful for that guy um, and that, that was like one thing that, that happened at the show. Uh, but one, one of the other things too was, um, uh, he played American skin. Um, 
And I had never heard American Skin before. And what a way to hear the song live in Madison Square Garden. Um, I had never even heard of the song because uh, I, I, you know, I basically bought all those albums and American Skin wasn't on any of the albums. I might have heard like a, you know, a, a something about it, you know, in the air. You know what I mean? Or I might have like heard an interview or something. I, I do. I, I remember that Spike Lee. Um, I think he used the the fuse, uh, yeah, in the end credits uh, for Twenty Fifth Hour, which is actually I haven't watched that movie in forever, but I remember it as one of my favorite movies. I haven't watched in a while, um, but I love that movie. And um, I and I I was you know relationship of Bruce to to Spike, and I think I did catch like a little bit that like you know maybe American Skin had something to do with it. But, like, I hadn't really heard the song. So I'm hearing the song for the first time, and I immediately, you know, 41 Shots, like, you you know, like, if you, like, grew up in New York, you know what 41 Shots means. Because every, everyone knows, like, what that that's for. You have to be, like, living under a rock. And I was, like, I think, like, only 12 or 13 when that happened. But you you know, you know, uh, you know, he's talking about Amadou Diallo. The, the thing that happened that was kind of unforgettable for me about that performance of American skin is I think it marked a significant change in me in terms of how I kind of interact with the world around me or like, just like kind of like what's going on. Cause like you grow up and for me, you know, growing up, like, you know, got the post and the news on the, on the stoop, especially when I was <laughs> more referring to when I was growing up in Whitestone and in, 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 in our attached house, like, you know, newspaper gets thrown, there's a headline and, you know, you have this kind of ability as, as a kid to like, you know, I'm not going to delve in, excuse me, <laughs> to what's going on on the front page. This is a lot of bad news. Uh, in, New, in New York City, especially like when these kind of scandalous um, things happen, which kind of expose the uh, fault lines of uh, division in our society and just splay it out in some kind of there's some kind of violent um, event that occurs, which which seems to contextualize it in a in a in a, in a way and kind of concretize it um, and. Um, I was 22 at this point, and obviously, you know, an adult. And uh, still, though, I think I had retained a distance from the world around me. I was, you know, uh, I'd started to play guitar, writer, you know, you know, kind of adopting or not adopting or just kind of maybe even finding it convenient to have a lazier's fair attitude toward, you know, like, oh, like, the world is a disaster and, you know, like, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because you have, you know, especially having, you know, degree of privilege or a privilege period, you know what I mean? Like, it's easier for you to do that because, you know, although I did have my moments of getting shoved against the fence and, you know, threatened and by, by police or in other hairy situations, like, definitely, like, college, like, I actually talked about this on my first podcast episode 
and I talked about it in the article in Guernica too, um, you know, in college when you're so busy and you have like four classes a day, um, and I, you know, like I think sometimes I did have four classes or three and then you get home at like six o'clock and some people even work, they're working jobs while they're in college and, you know, you have like a lot of shit going on, like your, your field of perspective can get really narrow and it seems like we're kind of dealing with that our whole lives, like in, in Western culture, like we're, we go to these micro universes of like our campus or our, or our jobs or whatever. And, and almost like just kind of, and that's life too. Like you're going to have like a micro version of your life. That's just kind of like the weird, like sitcom effect of like recurring characters and recurring uh, settings. And like, it's kind of the way humans cope with the existential nature of life, I guess, like to have like routines and, and stuff like that, like how the Western world works. Um, but like at the moment that Ameri- that I heard American skin, um, and I, I can say like, you know, I've had all sorts of different experiences at concerts, but I don't think I ever heard a song as much as I heard this song. Um, and just how different it, it felt from all the other songs on the set, obviously. And, and, um, you know, my, 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 my dad was there and he, you know, he was like, he, he was expl- like, oh yeah, like this is the song. Like, you know, he's talking about like the police, you know, turning their backs on the stage and like, and it's like, whoa, like I, my respect, like I had a lot of respect for Bruce uh, as an, as an artist, but my, my, res- my respect for him. I, and this is like an artistic thing too, because it's not like he like, you know, <laughs> did CPR on like an audience member and saved their life or something like that. But man, like my respect even went up even more that he like wrote that song because I, I couldn't. My my thing about it was too. I was like, man, that's balls, man. Like writing that song, being like a a, a white person writing that song is like ballsy, because that's a hard song, right? Because he's talking about cultural. Uh, problems, um, the action, you know, and, and the death of this, of this, of this kid, you know, that was a, <laughs> another thing about it too, was, you know, like I was of a uh, very similar age to, to, uh, and, and like, it really hits you at that point. Cause like you imagine yourself like being in that situation, standing on a, on a stoop and being surrounded and you don't know what's going on and you, and you run or, or, and then you try to take out your wallet to, to, and your life. So, and it's just, it's a terrifying thing to consider. And it's a, um, it's sobering. It's a really like sobering, like, obviously like thing to put yourself in that, in that situation. But Bruce in the song too, like in a similar way of like what I'm saying about maybe what I clumsily was describing about being at, at the concert at the Brooklyn Bowl when, it kind of was infiltrated by these people like outside the the realm of like the people who were there to appreciate like the Kalakans or Midnight North, like these people just l- looking to be assholes basically. And like what that means, like, you know, the, the song like puts the listener, you know, we're baptized in these waters and in each other's blood. Like that's right. You know what I mean? Like, if you looked at that guy as your neighbor who got killed, like it's a different thing, but you know, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Um, so 
that was another thing about the song, and I think it sh- that song really changed me um, because I, 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 in the subsequent week, I did my own very rudimentary cover of the song that I, I had it on my SoundCloud page for, for a while. I actually want to try it again um, now because I'm better a uh, musician. I haven't like listened to my cover of it, but I imagine it was you know rudimentary. I don't know if it had some pod, but I did do a cover of it, which like put me deeper into the song. And I I read about what had happened. Um, I got a lot of information, and I did an opposite action than just kind of blithely you know putting it putting it down uh, in a way of like putting it like under like the sidewalk I'm walking on just I don't want to think about it you know like I I can't deal with it yes you can <laughs> you can deal with it um you know you can deal with the implications um and like I said it's important to have I, I think it's important to to seek relief from the realities of our difficult lives but I, I also think you know it can't always it can't be I think too much one way or too much the other way. I think it's a, it's a tough tough balancing act. But at least in that moment, I did something different um, than what I had, what I had previously done. And in light of you know, it's 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 crazy. Like this was in 2012, and you know, in recent years with uh, you know Ferguson and uh, Freddie Gray and things that have been going on uh, now. Cup being more part of the public discourse and the implications of it. Um, and to hear this song and really have a moment of kind of religion for myself, you know, uh, a few years prior to that was certainly, you know, it's something I'll never forget uh, about hearing that song. And on top of it, it's, it's an amazing song. It's a brilliantly written song. Um, and in the way that it doesn't excuse what happened in, any way shape or form um no but it also looks at a culture terrified of itself but more accurately white people terrified of black people you know and white people terrified of all people of color and the assumption of guilt and the assumption that you know a face that you that isn't the person you think it is and and you know like the aggressive handling of the situation like it it cuts at things that again don't implicate the listener because it's not about implication but you're supposed to consider um you know because it's difficult i mean but things have to get better they they just it's unacceptable uh anyone you know like really i think looking at it honestly um what it would have to conclude it's and you know, this song, again, the, the balls of, of writing it, um, I think, you know, it could have been like, well, I'm going to write something about this, but I'll be subtle and I'll, I'll make it about like a lot of different things. Like, no, like using 41 shots in the song makes it a folk song. I think makes it a, 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 a straightforward folk song that says very complicated things. Um, and, uh, I really, really applaud <laughs> I really do like uh and a lot of you know if you go to Amadou Diallo's uh Wikipedia page uh you'll you'll see like a ton of musicians have done songs or lyrical allusions to to it so 
Um, and obviously just the human being, uh, <laughs> a young, a young guy, you know, like at the beginning of his life doing absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, that's a tough one to deal with. Uh, just looking at it as a New Yorker, basically, you know, and just as a person, but also as a, as a New Yorker too, because, you know, like we deal with the reality that's not in the brochure <laughs> about like interacting with each other on a daily basis. Um, so you'd like to think you're a part of a positive motion or something, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to kind of see it that way sometimes. So it's a complicated thing, but that, that was a hell of a moment for me, uh, seeing Bruce, uh, for the first time and hearing that song and then man oh man I really I mean if you've listened this far um and you're you love Bruce Springsteen as much as me or you're just curious um go to YouTube type in Bruce Springsteen American Skin 41 Shots um 2000 and uh the first time he played the song uh, at, in Madison Square Garden will will come up on your screen with um, the, the uh, Amadou Diallo's parents were uh, there uh, that night. And um, I feel like this performance in and of itself should have a documentary about it. I really do. Um, you know, like, also, or maybe it's a part of a documentary about what, you know, the large... But just speaking from the less consequential perspective of a performer and an artist and not so much a sociologist or or a journalist you know with more kind of serious uh, or, or I guess consequential lens I, I suppose like just talking about the performance like booze from about I would say 40% of the audience you know like and and he just does the song and um, you know plenty of people are cheering too but it's pretty uh, striking. It's a pretty, and it's why, it, it, in turn, like of all the live performances I've seen on YouTube of artists and stuff like that, that's definitely one of the most important ones that, that are out there in the past probably, you know, 15, 16 years. And it's just really, really sad how, despite the, the efforts of, of people trying to talk about these things, um, where is the traction? Where is this is this is seventeen years ago, and somehow the people booing are still dictating what's going on, um, which is that's that's just I I don't see how that's uh, understandable or I don't see how that's yeah I, I just so you know uh, that's kind of my thoughts on American Skin. Um, I do wanna, I mean. <laughs> There's so much I can talk about with Bruce. I have some some stuff. Um, I unfortunately, this is like so unprofessional, but I have to I have to go soon. <laughs> I have somewhere to be, and right at this particular moment was like the best time to do the recording because uh, I have some quiet. But unfortunately, I have a time limit, and I realized I could have really done like probably like three hours talking about Bruce. Um, but I, I, I'm probably there's no way I'm going to be able to, to get to everything I want to get to. Um, but I, I, I do want to talk about just a, f a couple of music things. Because we, we've talked about, you know, 
cult cultural things um, and kind of image things. But to, to kind of strictly talk about themes and songs, I, I just picked out a few songs that, that mean a lot to me that I, I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, and I did have this thing about <laughs> listening to Speaking of Brooklyn, uh, it's just so funny how there's threads, man, that, like, you just don't... I, I did... I had this experience. Uh, another thing I, I didn't do uh, often was drive to Brooklyn, <laughs> in addition to not taking the subway <laughs> to Brooklyn. Um, and I, I, I had this thing going on uh, years ago, man. I was in a writing workshop in Brooklyn, like, seven seven years ago. Uh, in, in like 20, I think it was like 2010, 20, it was like a few classes. So I had been like 2011, 2012, something like that. And like, I, I mentioned too on a previous episode, I do have anxiety. Uh, I have a form of anxiety. It's diagnosed and everything like that. So some things can be hard for me when they, when they, you know, like they, they're just normal things, you know, but like I had never been to, uh, drove to, to Brooklyn, I think ever. Uh, and I was like 20, I was like 20 something. This is, I'm being so fucking honest with you right now. You, you bastards. How, I, I can't believe what, what, how honest I am. But like, yes, like that's true. Like I, I didn't really, because I had this, like, weird thing where I didn't want to drive. I was, like, I didn't want to drive, like, in the city, or I didn't want to, like, drive, like, beyond, like, going to, like, CW Post, like, where I, where I went to college. Like, it was, it was terrible, you know? Like, I just got anxious about it. And I just got, like, this little thing I wanted to mention. I, I, um, I agreed to take this workshop, and, um, you know, nobody there knows, like, and why, why would they? Like, and I would, like, walk in and be like, hey, what's, what's going on? Like, but, like, I, I would have some, like, hairy, like, emotional episodes, like, while I was, like, driving. Because, like, it just, it just freaked me out. Like, it just, you know, I, it's something that, like, I, I just kept, like, not dealing with. And then it got, like, worse and worse. And then, like, when I actually, like, had to drive somewhere. <laughs> relatively. Of, like, a relative distance. Like, I, it would, like, just, like, be really, really hard for me to do. And so I, I started doing this, and I, a few things happened. I would, it was around Park Slope, so it was by the park, by Prospect Park. And I think uh, if you've driven around Prospect Park, you know that, like, weird, like, end-around thing. Like, it goes in, like, a circle, and if, like, you miss it, you just, like, keep driving in a circle <laughs> around the park if you're not in the right lane. So, like, that happened to me a couple times. Uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's like a labyrinth you know, over there. Um, also like I had this other thing where like, I made this turn and I was driving at night and like, there was this girl like crossing the street and like, I literally like, I, I turned and like my head, it was like a movie, like where you're like the, the shot of like the headlights, like going on a, a person, like when you're making a turn and they're like freeze, like, ah, you know what I'm saying? Like that happened and like that freaked me out, you know, like not, nothing happened, you know, but like, oh, that, that was like very unpleasant. Like that definitely like, that definitely like stuck with me. Um, I had another time where I was trying to park near where the workshop was and I went down a one way street and like, I'm the kind of driver too, where some people when they fuck up, they can like play it off and they they kind of like put on like 
the the guise of just being a jerk who doesn't care. Like, you're driving on the wrong side of the street, you crazy bastard. And, and like, you look at the person and you're just like, well, whatever, man. Like, hey, <laughs> looks like I'm going to have to reverse an, an entire block and, like, block traffic. No, like, I can't really play it off at all. Like, I'm the kind of driver where I do something like that. Like, if people, like, look at me, like, into, like, the driver's side window, like, I'm panicking. Like, I have, like, a look of, like, a sheer, like, oh, like, you know, my mouth gaping, my eyes bugging out of my head like my forehead creasing and I'm like turning the wheel and like looking behind me. I'm actually like looking at people in other cars as if they can like help me. <laughs> but this isn't the kind of driver I am anymore. I'm like a way better driver now. I, yeah. Like I actually like, I've like gotten over like a lot. And you have to kind of, I think like doing this, like helped me like get over it. But anyway, like during the course of these misadventures, I'm glad I actually like talk, talked about it. Cause it is like pretty amusing. Like during the course of these, uh, <laughs> sorry about that misadventures i um i was getting really into bruce springsteen and i i started listening to darkness on the edge of town um and especially the song something in the night and um it was funny like i i was feeling like you know i I, i'd be and i i would feel like the album would, would match the 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 drive you know so well you know and it matched like also what i i was trying to kind of do something different and outside my comfort zone which as you can see is, is like a problem for me at times um and, and like especially when it comes to like ordinary everyday shit that like other people have like seemingly no no issue with Oh, I'm sure other people do, but you know, maybe if you if you're like me, you're getting a kick out of hearing this. But a, I fell in love with the album, and it's my favorite. It's still my favorite Bruce Springsteen album because I, I love the feel of it. Um, but like it calmed me down, and like lis- listening to that album, I would just every single time I made the trip, I would I would just put it in "Darkness on the Edge of Town," and I I would have, you know, like. I would get into the music and I, I could have maybe listened to something else, but again, like the car, you know, darkness on the edge of town, so many racing in the street. They burnt our cars in one last big fire. The car being this emblem of freedom, uh, for the driver, uh, the car representing the agency for, for a person, you know, encouraging me to drive, you know what I mean? Like drive motherfucker. Like you got, you know, just go, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that was a thing. And like I said, just aesthetically, I, I, I felt like the lyrics kind of wrapping themselves around the, the stone and the, the, the street and over the bridge. And it brought a real like peace of mind and probably just continuing to do it. I, I, I finally calmed down about it. I, I did find like a routine of like parking, you know, like, um, several, like I, I made, I made it work ultimately. And I think, I think maybe even came off as like a normal person to the people, other people I was in the workshop with, uh, and Springsteen actually, uh, worked his way into, uh, a lot of stuff I was writing at that point, or at least one particular, uh, short story I was writing that, um, I still really probably should finish or go back and edit or, or something like that. But yeah, that, that was another Bruce, uh, related memory, uh, for me. 
Um, but yeah, I, I want to get into um, talking about these songs a little bit, particularly. And um, just Nothing Man. Just random song. My thoughts on some rant, you know, individual songs. Like, I had... I go through a depersonalization sometimes. Uh, you, you can you can look it up <laughs> as a symptom of anxiety, uh, and if you have it, you'll know exactly like what I'm talking about. Not something that happens. It's not my um, it's not my brain's go to anxiety uh, anxiety play. It's it's not you know it's not the uh, the my my brain's pick and roll of anxiety maneuvers, but it does happen and in a weird way because it it happens less often. It can be. I mean, I deal with it, but it, it, it does feel like, oh, that, like, oh, man. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And um, it can be, like, a little unpleasant. And uh, I feel like Nothing Man uh, references depersonalization. I, and Bruce um, in Born to Run, I think, referenced uh, depersonalization sometimes. It's just the feeling of um, all your definitions of everything being stripped away uh, instantaneously. And you, you feel... Uh, alien to absolutely everything around you so it's it's not the uh it's not it's not a super pleasant thing and i feel like i love that song uh, i know there's an element of like a returning uh war hero uh local hero kind of motif also happening but i really tap into that about the song and, I, and that that other aspect of it is is interesting too um also wanted to mention new york city serenade and expect you know I've, I've talked more about urbanity than I, I thought I would on this podcast, and that that's cool. I'm I'm glad I did that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean to do that, but speaking of that, uh, New York City Serenade uh, to kind of I mean I could you know I, I wouldn't do as good a job talking about the unbelievable musicality of of it you know uh, sensuous you know playing the uh, I think I'm 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 so sorry. I'm so sorry to that guy. I think I just butchered his the pronunciation of his name. But like the opening piano part's beautiful. Um, but I feel when I I shouldn't be. I know it's stupid. Like I shouldn't. If you don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, don't. Whatever. You know the guy is a great musician. I mean, so I apologize for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know this book. The one thing I gotta say about this book, they, if if they publish more editions of it, I don't know why there's not an appendix. I was, I, was, I was looking for that. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know why there wasn't. Because it would be, like, a lot easier to, like, look up people's names and stuff like that. But anyway, um, I feel like that song is about, like, the rhythm of the city and taking comfort in the rhythm and the musicality of daily life because it it it's maybe doesn't even exist. Like, he says, you know, listen to your junk, man. He's singing... And like I always, I always took that to mean like movement, survival, these like basic animal needs like form a, a kind of soundtrack to our lives, and it's something um, in the disappointments and disillusionment of like our ambition and our dreams, like seeing the world around you continue just continue and keep going forward even when it's kind of nonsensical and it feels like the world should stop and maybe does need to stop but there's a certain strength um and uh also 
beyond even brute strength or, or force, there's, like I said, like a musicality to things just going forward and, um, I, I, and being as they are, um, which I, I guess is also terrible in a way uh, in talking about like how things need to change. But then there's, you know, there's always... One doesn't cancel out the other, I feel. Like, right, exactly. Like, one... Like, yes, like, things need to change immediately, but there is, like, you know, the the, the, the barber cutting hair, uh, the, the garbage man jumping the garbage in the, in the dump tree. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the, the teacher, you know, showing up for work. Um, there's a spirit, like there's a spirit and a strength to it there you know i i think because if i feel if you lose touch with that you're into kind of a land of total alienation um which i and i think plenty of great art has been made from that place but your personal well-being i think could get the short shrift there living in that land you know so like yeah I, i love that song um City at Night, I mean, again, I, the weird, I, I'm telling you, I didn't plan at all for, like, this shit to, like, match up at all, but taking a cab, you know, like, I feel like that song is all about, like, taking a cab, but I, I also feel I related to it so much because when you're taking a cab above ground, it, it, can, it feels like you're taking on the, you know, the, uh, the affectation of like a, a knickerbocker or, or, or a man, you know, you know what I mean? You're not like you're above ground and you're looking at all the scenery, especially at, especially at night, all the bright lights. And, and especially if you got like a buzz on and you're just kind of like looking out the window and I'm telling you, like life can feel really good, you know, but I don't, I, I, I don't take cabs anymore. <laughs> but I remember when I did, like, and I really, I was like, yeah, like, this is like my song, you know, like, and I also, again, there's like such a, there's a deeper, with Bruce, there's like the, you can look at it like, you know, how a, a sociologist might look at it like that way of like, you know kind of like a middle class person or a, a lower middle class or lower person like kind of feeling like they're riding in a limousine because they're not taking the subway or whatever but then there's also you know there's a, there's a line in it you know some people want to die young and gloriously but taxi <laughs> taxi cab driver that ain't me you know like a, a line like that again just kind of it's an affirmation that isn't like it, it feels just like New York City Serenade is, is kind of, you know, taking in this world around you and, and trying to take the good from it, try, and not, trying to take, if there's good to be had, if there's any positive to be seen, and I, I certainly think there is, and, you know, and Bruce is on that side of the fence, taking it for yourself, taking it in your heart, taking some part of it that, like, works for you and seems accessible to you, um, you know, and yeah, there's, you know, just the romance of a, of a late night taxi ride, you know, maybe coming from 10th Avenue back toward uh, Midtown and kind of rolling through the streets. Um, yeah, like I, I, that, that song is awesome. And uh, the last song I wanted to mention in this section is Bobby Jean. Um, just because I feel like this song doesn't get talked enough 
<laughs> doesn't get talked about enough as a masterpiece. Um, it does an amazing trick of conveying intimacy within a fast-paced, hard, hard, you know, fast-moving rock and roll song, um, and, and it conveys an an ethereal kind of intimacy, as if kind of slipping through the airwaves of the radio, which the subject of the song might be listening to, to hear the song, to hear the very song they're listening to. So it has like such a interesting lyrical conceit of like addressing someone in a song and writing about that. You're hoping they hear the song that you're performing right now and where they might be and how it might reach them and uh, lost love and lost connection, a lost, like I feel like a lost neighborhood connection. Um, and, you know, the line, you know, we, we like the same music, we like the same bands, we like the same clothes, and, you know, and everyone else, all the others turned away and turned up their nose. Like, you know, just the, the grounds of a strong friendship, and often when you have the grounds of a strong connection, you also have the grounds of, of, a, of a strong, of a, of a heavy heartbreak, you know, and, and of an irreconcilable uh, differences because in a strange way the same things that brought you together were were going to be the the impetus of of the parting um it's just a great i mean the song's so good i it's one of those songs i probably have listened to it like five thousand times like legit and like I'm, i never get tired of it just because it's such a well well done song so i gotta i gotta do something gross right now i gotta spit hold on oh that's phlegm, kids. I mean, I'm sorry. This is live. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> so I want to I want to finish up um, by um, uh, digging into my favorite sections from Born to Run. Um, yeah. So let's let's do it. Um, I just want to like read read these like parts. Um, so when I was mentioning ecosystems before. Um, <laughs> I was just like, it's so good, you know, like, he does, he does an amazing job, you know, um, writing about the specificity of Jersey and the different audiences in the different parts of Jersey that he's playing. Um, and if, and it, and it sociologically speaking, you know, if, if you want to check out the book for that, cause you might not expect that you might not expect that level of detailed writing uh, in the book, and, and it's amazing. So let me read. To the South. South of Freehold, there were other challenges. The Greasers were a teen subcult, leather-jacketed, shark-skin suit-wearing, see-through nylon sock-clinging, beat your ass with an Italian shoe, pompadour preening, take more time to get ready for school in the morning than my Auntie Jane, Fight you at the drop of a hat. Italian descendant don't give a fuck about you inhabitants of their own little terrestrial universe. Many of my better friends were Greece, so named for their extensive use of hair products and fine, oily Italian skin. They were easier to deal with and understand than the rah-rahs, and that's what I couldn't think of before. Those are like the, the rich kids on the shore. Um, yeah, as long as they didn't hold the grievance with you. These were the kids destined to live the decent, hard-working lives of their parents and take up their father's trades, the future farmers, homemakers, and baby makers. 
if they could scoot through these few years of wild pounding hormones without getting hurt or hurting someone else. If they could keep out of jail for this short stretch, most would go on to this, most would go on to be the spine of American society, fixing the cars, working the factories, growing the food, and fighting the wars. Also south, down Route 9, stood Freewood Acres, the first subdivision any of us had ever seen. What distinguished Freewood Acres was not just its first ever status as a planned community, but the fact it counted as its inhabitants descendants of Genghis Khan, Mongolians. It was a long ride from the Russian steeps, but due to the grace of Alexandra Tolstoy, daughter of Leo of War and Peace fame, they'd arrived locally in the late 40s after the war. Alexandra had a foundation that assisted in getting them out of the Soviets' reach, so, persecuted by Stalin and rabidly anti-communist, they settled in Monmouth County. It was Siberia or New Jersey, a close one, but they were sprung from Stalin's cages and ended up literally on Highway 9. Their children became my classmates at Freehold High. The Mongolians were physically very big Asians, and they went strictly Greece. Imagine the biggest Asian you've ever seen in three-quarter length leather, dress shirt and trousers, wrinkled picker shoes, and a slick black pompadour that added another inch or two of height on an already north of six-foot frame. These guys had great-great-granddaddies who rode hard and conquered the world, and their New Jersey offspring looked like they could do it again if pressed. The greasers copped their whole look from the school's black community, which they were friendly with while at the same time virulently racist against. Yeah, like, yes, that, that goes on in high school, absolutely. They were in deep pursuit of uptown style. The pristineness of the suits, the high-collared pink, lime green, and baby blue shirts, the high-water trousers, their grooming was precise and not to be fucked with. You do not touch my hair! You touch my hair and fight! A sensitive crew. The greasers were led by someone I'll call Tony, a godfather before there was the godfather. He walked through the halls of school with the most perfect coal black pompadour you'd ever seen, attired impeccably in a three-quarter length black waistcoat with an Italian sex god's face out of every good little cheerleader's wet dream. He wore it like a king and was the head of the local gang. Outside of school, you'd see Tony regular, regularly in the teen clubs, often wielding a silver-headed cane, occasionally against someone. He'd drift in, a small-town Caesar, mirror shiny shoes barely touching the ground, surrounded quietly by his minions. Wherever he walked, people made room. South, into the greaser turf all along Route 9, was where we went next to ply our trade. Route 9 held a chain of nightclubs and pizza parlors that on weekends catered to the teen set. First, there was Catavilli's Pizza near Lakewood. It was just a small highway pizza joint where the owner decided to pick up some extra cash on Friday and Saturday nights by turning out the tables and chairs, hiring a band, and holding small dances in front of the pizza counter. I mean, can you fucking picture this? This is, like, amazing. I mean, this world is, like, I mean, man, fascinating. Just fascinating fascinating to think about the place was ruled by a hardcore contingent of greaser girls with teased buffon fit hair white lipstick white skin heavy eyeshadow leather boots oh man stop man tight <laughs> tight skirts dive bomber bras think shangri-la's aronets crossed with amy winehouse the most powerful of these ladies was a gal named kathy you came in you set up your stuff you started to play and nobody moved nobody a very uneasy hour would pass, all eyes on Kathy. Then when you hit the right song, she'd get up and start to dance, trance-like, slowly dragging a girlfriend out in front of the band. Moments later, the floor was packed and the evening would take off. The ritual played itself out time and time again. She liked us. 
We found out her favorite music and played the hell out of it. Very smart. We became officially sanctioned as one of Kathy's bands. It was all great, as long as she didn't like you too much. That would be very dangerous. Though Catavilli's Pizza was, to my memory, mostly a girl's night out, there were always guys around the edges, and a murmur, a rumor, a sign of something more than friendship would not be good for your health. Along Route 9, you tried to cross no one. Finally, we worked our way up to the IB Club. This was the big show down south. A greaser... <laughs> a greaser heaven on earth. The best group's real hit doo-wop recording acts played there. Nikki Adeo was our local doo-wop god, with a falsetto that wet many a pair of cotton panties and could send chills up Satan's spine. He was the real deal and king of the old-school crowd that gathered at the, at the IB. When he sang the Cadillac's Gloria, Greaser Church was in session. The dance floor would be packed, and all you could hear was the rustling of shark-skin hard-ons rubbing against cheap nylon stockings. Doo-wop was still the music of choice among the rocker contingent, even in 1966, at years after the British invasion. Years. I've sung What's Your Name and the Five Satins in the Still of the Night many, many times. Along Route 9 in the 60s, a handful of doo-wop numbers was essential to your survival. For the Castiles, this was a big booking. The floor was awash in leather, and we tailor our set to satisfy. The secret ingredients were doo-wop, soul, and Motown. This was the music that made the leather heart skip a beat. It took the dark, bloody romanticism of doo-wop, the true-to-life grit of soul, and just that small hit of possible upward social mobility embedded in Motown to define what this crowd's lives were all about. Except for their top 40 hits, the Bohemian Poses of the Stones, or their other 60 brethren held little relevance to these kids' experience. Who could afford that? You had to fight, struggle, work, protect what was yours, remain true to your crew, your blood, your family, your turf, your greaser brothers and sisters, and your and your country. I mean, it's just, dude, this is, I mean, it's putting you there, you know what I mean? Like, this was the shit that would get you by when all the rest came tumbling down, when the bullshit was washed away in the next fashion trend and your gal was pregnant and your dad went to jail or lost his job and you had to go to work. When life comes knocking, it's the heartbroken doo-wop singer who understands regret and the price of loving. The hard-living soul man who understands, I take what I want, I'm a bad go-getter, yeah. And the Motown divas, men and women, who know you gotta play a little bit of the white man's rich man's game. You have to make thoughtful compromises that don't sell out your soul, that let you reach just a little bit higher until your moment comes and then you set the rules. This was the credo all along Route 9, and you better understand it, or else you would die an ugly musical death while risking bodily injury on Saturday night. Man. So, like, yeah, that's actually, I think that's, like, for the book, I don't think I'm going to read, like, a better sec. Although there is a beautiful part where I, I was planning on reading where he's writing about his dad and a dream he had, and um, he's watching a man on stage who's on fire with his father in the audience, uh, after his father's passed away and he's trying to tell his father that that's you on stage. That's what I was trying to show. And that's like a really super interesting thing, uh, that beyond, you know, a glib, uh, assessment that I just made. I'm kind of running out of steam here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. I'm not even sure this is longer than my last episode though. Though I thought, I think in my last episode, I took a break to walk the dog, but uh, I really got to be going, um, but I'm going to play my song, 99 Cents, which I uh, wrote. I wrote this song because I was inspired by 
great anecdote in the book about Bruce trying to get through the Lincoln Tunnel with a hundred pennies. And that sounds like something I would have tried to do like a few years ago, like a misadventure where a chaos ensues for the other unfortunate drivers on the road. But I'm going to do the song in a minute. Just give me one second. (laughs) All right, but this is 99 cents. And and really, um, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. Thank you so much if you've listened this far. I really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to doing another one like a year from now. It'll be great. <laughs> Bought my ladies Dodge Seneca for a trip to the city. Oops, I fucked it up. Hold on. Bought my ladies Dodge Seneca for a trip to the city. She doesn't like me, only seen her lightly, but it pays to have her pity. Drop my band. Killed the cafe, scored myself in advance. Now a hotshot Colombian, leather bearded ruffian in this Western romance. 99 cents won't get you in. You need the full dollar. 99 cents won't get you in. The full Can't make rent while waiting on the check. I need some quick dough. She chastises me. There's no on poverty. We kiss and I go. Philosophize on the ride. Got into the 95. All friends need enemies. Then near the Lincoln Tunnel, the toll booth reads, No pennies, 99 cents, won't get you in. You need the full dollar, yeah. 99 cents, it won't get you in. No, you need the full dollar. Miss Attendant, pennies are all I got. She said you passed before and been warned. How could you have forgot? I negotiate deftly and she pours my pennies from my coffee tin. Starts counting them individually. The home blank cacophony tells me the shape I'm in. Hey, 99 cents. It won't get you in. says and I cry but I count them like an Arcadian she asked me coolly replies sternly but one of these is Canadian ever so fleet I jump in the back seat searching for the bronze face of Lincoln 100 pennies I scream at myself what the fuck were you thinking 99 cents well it won't get you Dollar. 99 cents, no, it 
blanket of dirty gleam between the seat cushion. The penny I need for all eternity. Thank Jesus it hadn't been pushed in. After I get Mike's 35, I continue to drive and park by Washington Square. I gaze round for the me who knew who he was, but he's not there. This is where we came when we were young and thought the city loved us. The village where we wanted to know we knew there were so many like us. This is where I found myself where I was no one else. This is where I fit. I dream of a window in the clouds where I can close myself in. A sax man's plane under the arch and a thousand miles away. A woman holding five cats wearing a witch's hat keeps screaming, Bill, I don't know what to say. I sit down on the marble and lower my eyes to my tracks, sneakers. Who does make it anyway? Is it the faithless or true believers? Tomorrow is mine, I say to the arch. And the stars hiding in the New York dark. I'm a Sagittarius that means I'm an arch and I'm still aiming for my mark. 99 cents won't get you in. You need the full dollar. Well, 99 cents won't get you in. You need the full Yeah, yeah, I fucked up. I said New York Dart. I meant New York Dark. I think the third part of that song maybe could be shorter. But I wanted to get in some stuff about the park, you know? Because, like, I was so moved, too, by how he wrote about the park. So, uh, yeah, that was 99 cents. And uh, read the damn book if you haven't, man. I mean, if you're a Bruce fan and you haven't read this book, you're like, ah, you know... I don't know, I just, I don't know, like, read it, it's fucking great, it's, it's a great book, so, you know, I basically got to most everything I wanted to do, uh, which is nice, and, um, thanks for listening, I mean, I don't really know what else to say, I've been talking for, like, two hours, so, I'm gonna, like, shut the fuck up now and, like, do something else, <laughs> but, uh, I hope you enjoyed another episode of Strange Currencies, man, uh, see you next time.